I had no other symptoms that went along with that. It was just my face was numb. And the ironic thing is when I came home, my husband and I were out of town, I called my mommy and I told her about it. And she said exactly what you said, Laura. Oh, no, you are a heart health advocate. You know about heart disease. You know your body. You need to get to the hospital right away. Everyone has a story to tell, and we invite you to join us for the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast and listen to these unique stories. Greetings and welcome to the MS Diagnosis Journey podcast. I'm your host, Laura Koloskowski, and with us today, we have a really special guest, Teresa Wright-Johnson. Good morning, Teresa. Good morning, Laura. First, I'd like to say thank you for having me to do this podcast. I consider it an honor. Well, I'm really glad that you're here to share your story. And for full disclosure to everyone, often I'm interviewing people who I've never spoken to for even the first time until we actually turn on the microphones for the podcast. Whereas Teresa and I are really, truly good friends and an example of the type of friendships we might make through the MS community. So Teresa's story in particular, I wanted her to share with us because she has what we call comorbidities. And she began her life as a child, as an infant with congenital heart disease. And then all of a sudden, going along this path, she finds out that she has MS. And I think you'll find her story very interesting and engaging. So Teresa, would you like to just set the stage for what you thought was going on that was different than what you were already working with? Absolutely. So um, as you just mentioned, I did. I had congenital heart disease. So I had cardiac issues um, my entire life. Uh, Multiple sclerosis hit me out of nowhere. Um, And to be honest, I did not have any symptoms that were recognizable. I was what would be considered asymptomatic. Um, And actually, and I'm not going to say my diagnosis at that time because I was, um, you know, I was under the care of a neurologist for a while before I actually got diagnosed. But what was suspicious was my orthopedic surgeon found a lesion during an MRI on my neck. And at that time, we didn't know whether that was actually a lesion or whether, you know, it was something from an injury that I incurred in the line of duty. So anyway, he referred me for another MRI. He sent me to an area neurologist and that area neurologist watched me for a few months and everything seemed to calm down. And um, the lesion seemed to, I guess, disappear. So maybe a year later, and it's a little, you know, it's a little hazy for me, but maybe a year later, I remember experiencing um, this sensation in the left side of my cheek and tongue, like the whole left side of my face went numb. So, of course, as a heart health advocate, the first thing I thought about was a stroke. 
yeah, that would be a natural thought for anyone who has cardiac issues. So you had this left side numbness in, in your face. Exactly. And not not necessarily for anyone who has cardiac issues, but anyone who is really abreast and knowing what the signs of a stroke is. Because, you know, that's one of the things that we tell people, make sure you learn the, the signs of a stroke. So anyway, my whole left side of my face was numb. And it was like that for three days. I'm going to repeat that. Three days. <laughs> okay, I'm going to stop you right there. You're a heart advocate. You understand exactly. that. And you waited three days with this numbness before seeking help? Exactly. I waited three days. Um, and I'm going to tell you why. So please, to the audience that's listening, don't do that. That is something that I teach as a heart health advocate. It's ironic that that's what I did. You know, I'm going to tell you why. It may not sound logical or seem logical, but, you know, I had no other symptoms that went along with that. It was just my face was numb. Um, I felt like I went to a dentist and, uh, like, I had Novocaine. That's that feeling I had for three days. And the ironic thing is when I came home, because my husband and I were out of town, and I didn't even mention it to him, I called my mommy. And I told her about it. And she said exactly what you said, Laura. Oh, no, you are a heart health advocate. You know about heart disease. You know your body. You need to get to the hospital right away. So I said, oh, mom, I'm not going to the hospital right now. I'll call, I'll call my neurologist. So my mother said, you better get to the hospital. So to make a long story short, I called my neurologist. He told me to meet him at the hospital. He told you the same thing your mother said, go to the hospital. <laughs> he did. He told me to meet him at the hospital. And I met him at the hospital. And all of these series of tests were taken. And a couple days later, everybody weighed in. And although it appears that I did have some TIA activity, there were also markers that there could be a mess. So I was referred to an MS specialist who is now my doctor, Dr. Thomas Leist, who I really think very highly of. I was referred to him and that is when I got my actual diagnosis. So it appears that may have been a flare-up or, or a relapse. And um, I had another relapse or a new symptom. And that's when I received my diagnosis. So even though you had all these medical people that you've been dealing with, I don't think your diagnosis exactly happened overnight. Can you tell me about how that transitioned and you being maybe diagnosed to actually getting an MS diagnosis? From finding the lesion um, to my first physical symptom, it was one year. Um, and then from following me, from that first physical symptom, you know, when I told you I went numb 
um, on the left side of my face, my diagnosis actually came three years later. So I had been under the care of an aerial neurologist and an MS specialist for three years at least. So you had quite a few doctors looking at you, but no one quite was ready to call it MS until they were sure, it sounds like. Exactly. Um, my my MS specialist, um, who is absolutely stellar, he followed me closely. Uh, we knew I was under suspicion. You know, I would take the routine tests and the MRIs and things of that nature. But, you know, with MS, what I really, really loved about my doctor is that he was not hasty to declare a diagnosis. Um, MS can be very tricky and it can mimic so many other things. Um, So while we knew what we were watching for, um, he was not comfortable making a diagnosis until he was certain. And um, for that, for that, I'm really grateful. And for that, I think it benefited me because, again, um, it allowed me to do my own research. It allowed me to really, really look for signs and symptoms. And what I discovered through this diagnosis and and my other diagnosis of having heart disease is that my body has really never failed me and given me warning signs. So when the left side of my face went numb, that was clearly a warning sign. And uh, that's one of the reasons why my call to advocacy and my call in advocacy is, you know, to always tell people to listen to their bodies. And sometimes we're not good at doing it ourselves um, because, you know, I share with you, (laughs) I share (laughs) with you, (laughs) you know, my hesitation in going, but I, you know, I challenge people and I charge them to always listen to your body because it's going to tell you in most cases when something is going on. Yeah, so it's really difficult for people to understand how slow this process can move. And you have this suspicion in the back of your mind that it's something different, but you can't quite get it pinned down with the medical experts. Right. And it, it makes it, it it makes it more complicating, or it's even more complicated when you don't present um clinically like there I didn't have every symptom clinically and again um had that not happened to me um I'm not sure if I would have known that I had MS I really think that because my body went through that physical trauma I don't think that it caused MS. Of course, it didn't cause MS. Um, But I really do think that it triggered um, that systemic response. So from that 
12 to 14 month span, um, I had been seeing a neurologist and, you know, they made it clear if there's something that comes up, if you feel anything, then please just make sure you come back, you get in touch with me. So the highlight of my story is I had a really, really attentive area neurologist, and he really stayed on top of me from that first incident. And then when I had the second incident, he got me in, he he really got me to see an MS specialist right away. Oh, and I think that point is so important. And for the listeners, um, I'm sure you have this big question mark about Teresa and her line of work. She comes from a longstanding family of um, law enforcement officials, and she herself followed down that same path with a degree in criminal justice and worked as a probation officer on the East Coast in a major metropolitan area. So her line of duty injury happened when she was serving all of us. And we really do appreciate your service there as well, Teresa, along with the service of your family. Thank you so much. And just a small correction, I worked as a parole officer. Um, It was a state parole officer. Uh, and there is there is a difference between parole and probation, and I <laughs> I messed up on that one for sure. No, you, you're fine. You're okay. Just, they get they get confused, but they are very different jobs. But thank you so much. I appreciate that, and and my family um they appreciate that because we still have some, and we have some who are no longer with us. But yes, um, I come from a long lineage of public servants and public officials. Yeah, and you continue to do that public service through your advocacy work here for the heart community and for multiple sclerosis. So I'm wondering if you have any suggestions or ideas for people who might be traveling through that journey themselves and say, something is wrong with my body and I don't know what it is. Could it be MS? Do you have any suggestions for them? Absolutely. The cardinal rule is always listen to your body because you know when something is wrong. And be persistent about that if you're not being heard. I think that's one of the things that gets told to me on many occasions by patients from every community that I serve or that I am a member of is that they weren't listened to, they weren't heard. And although that is not my story, I do understand that there are experiences or situations where people are not heard. And I just want everybody to know, not only does their voice matter, um, that their care matters as well. And they are not being a difficult person or not being a difficult patient by demanding answers to what's going on with them. Um, And if they can't find a doctor to listen, there's no harm in going to a different one. Um, We don't have to get stuck with care. 
that we feel we don't deserve and find someone who's going to listen and not only listen, that's going to be very proactive. The second thing I like to say is that I've lived with a chronic illness my entire life. I knew how to survive heart disease. And I also knew and know um, what's expected, what I have coming up, what could possibly happen. I did not have that knowledge when I got diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. So in 2014, when I received this diagnosis, it was very frightening. Um, It was lonely. It was uncertain. And one of those reasons why is because I couldn't think of anyone who looked like me that had it. I, I could think of one person, and that was Montel, Montel Williams. And that is why I advocate so hard in this space for representation, um, because it matters to see yourself. Uh, because historically, you know, we thought or we think, I think we're changing the, the landscape and the mindsets now, but multiple sclerosis doesn't only affect white women and men. You know that it affects Black women and people of color, and we're finding that out more and more. So I just want to say that there is life after a multiple sclerosis diagnosis. There is support once you receive the diagnosis and that um, you can take the time you need to process your diagnosis and everything that comes along with it. I think that is absolutely brilliant advice, Teresa. Not only are you a great example of how to survive a diagnosis of MS or heart disease or the other things you have going on, but also how to thrive with those diagnoses and make the most of the situation you have. So unfortunately, we can't change our health trajectory, but we can adapt and understand it and learn about it. I'm just wondering, do you have any final words you'd like to tell our listeners before I sign off here? I'd like to thank you for allowing me, um, and I'm talking to the listeners, to thank each and every one of you for allowing me the time to come into your space. Please, if you take anything from my story, um, please take these two things. Listen to your body. Um, know that there is life after an MS diagnosis. And remember, please, just have hope. Hope is eternal. And hope is what has gotten me this far. Hope um, with a great, great family, um, a wonderful husband, and a community full of people like the two people you hear on this interview today. So that is my takeaway. Um, And I hope that is your takeaway. And thank you again. 
So there you have people you've been listening to my conversation with my dear friend, Teresa Wright Johnson. I hope you'll take away something special from this. I know there's a lot to unpack in the words that she shared with us today. But remember, your voice matters. Your care matters. Advocate for yourself. But most of all, continue to have hope and enjoy your life. So thank you again. This is the Multiple Sclerosis Diagnosis Journey podcast. And have a great day. 